Pod. Pod. You're still chuckling. I, every time. Pod. It captures the essence of my personality, I think. <laughs> uh, at my former job at the radio station, uh, the my my direct supervisor got really mad one time because I described the sound that I wanted for the show that I was hosting as I want it to be janky. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I think it's the aesthetic that I shoot for. Like I really, I think I like, I like the 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 soundscape that I like best is it sounds like it's held together by duct tape and bailing wire. <laughs> that's that's what I like. Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. A show held together by duct tape and bailing wire. <laughs> now that is a great review. <laughs> <laughs> He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are one and zero. The Pac-12 is thirteen and zero. After week zero and week one, and I'm still I'm seeing way too many tweets about TV ratings. Like it's just is that just that's probably just part of the landscape now. I I have a legitimate question. Why do we care? It's the same reason that people all of a sudden over the last couple of years care about revenue and talk trash around media rights valuations. It's it, it's because the, the people in charge have conditioned people to root for these things that they do not benefit from in any way. And I mean, at least the TV ratings thing, it's like a, it's a you can draw a direct line to how relevant your program is, right? Like if you're if there's some tweet that shows that Oregon's getting all these views and Washington's not on the list, it's it's like ammunition for the Oregon fan to say, see, people want to watch our team and they don't care about your team. So I, I think that's I think that's where it comes from. But is that true? And and the reason I ask that is, so Pat Forty wrote a column saying the Pac-12 is the first conference to die because of poor ratings. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think the Pac-12 died because of poor ratings. I think the Pac-12 died because they made a series of miscalculations as far as the value of their television packaging. But I don't think it was ratings related. Like, I, I don't... and. My counterpoint to anybody who says, yeah, it does come down to ratings, then explain to me why Wazoo is where it is. Because Wazoo's actually got really good ratings. Yeah. If, if you're going to give me the, the the description that ratings matter, Wazoo should be a much more marketable property than, it, than you would think, given the fact that it and Oregon State are Tupac at this point. It's it's an oversimplification. I mean, the Pac-12 died because its biggest ratings driver left to go to another league. That's... Mm-hmm. Yes, and because and there were a series of missteps and mismanagement and administrative incompetence that likely led that biggest ratings driver to think, I don't want to be in this league anymore. But but if the moment that USC and UCLA left, if the Pac-10, the, PAC the remaining 10 schools, had taken the offer that, that was on the table from ESPN, they would have survived, right? Because basically, I mean, that, the reporting said that they were offered essentially the deal that the Big 12 took. And the Pac-12 was like, no, we're going to get more money than that. And they didn't. It wasn't – it's not ratings, though. It was their own hubris in, in that regard. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. Yeah, I, I, it is, it's, over, it's an oversimplification to say that they, the league died because of poor ratings. But it is um, – I just I keep seeing all these <laughs> tweets about, like, the top-rated games and the way that fans just eat – just eat that up like and here they got us they got us danny what are we what are we four minutes into this episode and we're talking about the goddamn tv ratings there is something epically stupid about the idea of feeling validation that other people are watching what you're watching why do you care if i I mean i guess on a level like you want enough people to watch your program so it doesn't get canceled but you're like oh i'm watching the most popular television program that's out there like hey if you see how many people are watching the dance with dragons or whatever the hell it is it's stupid it's dumb how many people do watch the dance with dragons i have no idea because i don't want to (laughs) care i i saw that there was whatever the rating was for colorado tcu and as i was like okay i great i guess it was a compelling game it was super interesting to watch but like why do i sit there like wow did you see how many people tuned into that no do you see freaking travis hunter like he played so many plays 
the people can't agree on how many plays he he played. Like I've seen that. three that's different a, accounts for how many plays point. he was on the field. I so I just went and looked it up um, when I was writing my day after stuff, and PFF has. I mean, you just count them. They have him for eighty defensive snaps and sixty-five offensive. That's one hundred and forty-five. People are citing the one hundred and twenty-nine number. Because somebody from PFF tweeted, oh, my God, Travis Hunter played 129 snaps. But then a little while later, that same person, I forget who it was, replied to his own tweet and said, oh, he actually played way more than that. The system hadn't refreshed. It's actually 145. <laughs> and then I see someone threw out 119. It, that was I, on I'm three. Going, I'm on... going with 145 because I, <laughs> I, I look at PFF and it has him for 145. So... Can, can, it's an insane number, regardless. It it is crazy. Can I also ask? Should it be called Pro Football Focus if they have college stats? Well, listen, you can focus on one area <laughs> and dabble. It's Pro like, Football Focus, <laughs> college football dabble. It's it's funny. It's um, it's funny. He that is wild. It's the same sort of thing that I felt with Shohei Otani. In which I know that I've been told forever that people can't do both. That it's just even if your best your best pitchers are your best hitters in high school, and that stays true even at points in college. That once you get in, you just can't focus on both. You can't be great doing both, and then Shohei Otani comes around and and changes that. And I'm not sure how how much that might just be an outlier. Like he's that much of a freak that he's able to do that. But when you see Travis Hunter, you're like, man, like there's not a real reason why this ironclad law that you can't do both. He looked pretty good doing both. And I don't know how good TCU is, but TCU's and that's a power. That's a legit power five program, no matter how you cut it, even if they're not what they were last year and finished this year with a, a mediocre record. He still caught seven passes for 119 yards, got missed but on a, what could have been a couple long completions and was a hell of a corner. Yeah. And I mean, grabs that interception at the goal yeah. line. He's uh. a, what a player, just a phenomenal player. And like, I, this is where in far be it for me to get all high. My, like, I think I picked Colorado to finish 11th. I picked TCU to cover that 20 point spread. Like I was anticipating a lopsided TCU victory. So I don't, you know, this is, this is not me trying to like correct my, my take in, in hindsight or anything, but my thought on Colorado has been more that we there's no way anybody should feel confident in any sort of opinion about them yeah. until we see them play. And it was it was my thought that week one with all those new players, especially on the the offensive and defensive lines, going to play. Maybe they're a top twenty five team. Maybe they're not. They were preseason, but who really knows? TCU's mm -hmm. lost a lot of a lot of juice, I think, but. Going on the road and playing a team that was in the national championship game last year, I did not think that was a great venue for Colorado to make its season debut. But there has always been this part of me that's like, Travis Hunter was the number one recruit in the country two years ago, like for a reason. Shadur Sanders, no matter what you think about, can he make the leap from FCS to FBS, whatever, he's certainly way better than any quarterback they had last year. Dylan Edwards was going to Notre Dame and Oregon really wanted him and had be probably could have gone to a number of other schools. Like they have some guys at some really important skill positions who are really good. So that's what made the Colorado thing. So, so interesting going into this season. Like, I don't know if they're going to hold up in the trenches. I mean, they did. They're one and oh right now they're playing a Nebraska team that doesn't look to be much better either, which I I'm, I'm sure that breaks your heart. You seem to be a big Matt rule guy. I don't um, like I think Matt Rule's a dork, but I base that entirely on him using Pepsi as his standard for brand establishment when so he was at quick, Carolina. Look, we'll see if if these the offensive and defensive lines hold up all season against Pac twelve team. Maybe most of Colorado's Pac twelve schedule is better than TCU. Who knows? But like at the very least, Travis Hunter is gonna make a lot of plays this year and is just gonna be interesting to watch. I mean 145 so that's unbelievable that's the other wow. question too like can he do that every week Did, was this game so important that they were like 
this dude's not coming off the field if he doesn't have to. He's going to play. He played every defensive snap, at least what PFF had him, every defensive snap and 65 of their offensive snaps. That's unbelievable. I will remember talking to high school basketball coaches when I would talk to, to them about kids getting tired at the state tournament, and they're like, dude, they're 17, 18 years old, and they're used to playing all day, like, outside like how do you think that they're and there's a little bit of me that feels that that way of like they're we've all seen them guys who just don't get tired and i don't see a the fact that it hasn't been done and that people have shied away from doing it doesn't mean that there's not people capable of doing that i guess that's what i would say and he looks to be an absolutely awesome athlete it's fun to watch what's going to happen. And it seems, and this is because of Dion's personality and how people feel about him and also just the the reaction that assertive and that black athletes and, and black coaches with a strong ego who project a strong pre- presence tend to provoke a certain reaction from parts of America in general. I am shocked at how many people are like invested in Colorado stinking. Like it's it's really strange to me. Like Colorado's not a loathed program by any stretch. And yet that first weekend there was this feeling of that I I got and maybe I'm projecting on my own, but that people really wanted to see Colorado be terrible. I I think I'm interested if Colorado's good. I'm open to the idea they might be. I don't think that they can last the whole season, and I do think some things will show through, but I'd, my opinion about the long-term viability of this approach, like I'm totally interested in seeing what happens and willing to be completely wrong about Dion's the, the ultimate success that Dion may achieve there. What would like otherworldly success be for them this year? A bowl game? Yeah. If, I mean, they, if, they, if, they, like, fit, if they go six and six, that's that is that's, like jaw droppingly amazing work by Deion Sanders in year one. Yes. And I don't want to say this is the unfortunate part of and now at this point, some people are going to see that as validation that they weren't as good as people were saying after week one. Whereas if they go six and six, Dion might have done one of the best coaching jobs we've seen anywhere in the conference in the country. I mean, that's. It's it's a huge deal if they go six and six, but there will be people that are going to say like, see, they didn't end up mattering. That that week one win was as good as it got. Do you think he's too divisive to win national coach of the year if they go like six and six or seven and five? He would get some votes. He'd get consideration for sure. But I still think there'd be, like, I don't know. I don't think coaches vote on that kind of thing. I think there's a couple different like organizations That's that award I was, it. I, w- I was going to wonder if it's the FCA. If coaches vote on it, there's no chance. Yeah, because there's going to be some people resistant to, like, this is fine, you won seven games, but, like, you still did this wrong. And this was still, you shouldn't have forced out all those kids, and yeah. I just, I don't like the way you go about this. So, yes. like, there's going to be that that begrudging, you know. It's it's going to take him, I think, longer to get props from the coaching world, yes. maybe, than than it should. Um, but I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've been, um, I've been a little bit maybe, maybe pleasantly surprised by the number of people who have kind of been willing even after one game to say hey what's up bro you believe that wrong you you hold on hold on hold on oh no do you believe that huh oh no 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 i read through that bull junk you wrote that i read through that i sifted through all that yeah oh no come on do you believe you don't believe you just answered it you don't believe next question so that was that was Ed Werder. The, it was the Ed. I was talking to. I was I've, amazed it was Ed. I've heard, um, and this is not like ironclad, but I I've heard some people speculate that was a that was a little bit of a a wink wink in on the joke type of interaction. He and, knows Ed. He, yeah, that there, was not. Uh, it was it was not mean spirited. People and people may not realize this. Most people that have covered Dion or been around Dion like Dion. Like he's he's not he's not a a player that reporters who've covered him dislike. Um, yeah, I've I've heard the same thing. Um, that the uh, the the coach prime personality is a different than than what you'd get from Dion maybe behind the scenes. 
he's a fairly considerate and personable guy. Um, I I like Dion. Like I I really do. I don't know if how Coach Prime is going to work as a long term play, and I do think that ultimately it benefits him more than it benefits the program. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's America. Um, but yeah, it was that was really really fun. And I, I just I appreciate. It. I think this is this is a sound drop we can use in in many different situations. Oh no no no! I read through that bull junk you wrote. I, I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. <laughs> I love bull junk. Bull I gotta junk. use that. Uh, we should we should get off Colorado before we we turn too many. Get on to the here. University of Washington, which punts on its yes. first two possessions, fails to score in the first quarter, and dang near hangs sixty on them. Were you crushed after the first quarter? Were you worried? I was worried. Yeah, I did not think they looked particularly good on either side of the ball, and I was I had seen about my limit of wide receiver screens that I wanted to see for the rest of the season. <laughs> I was like, go ahead and blow that up. Um, yeah, I, I, I was worried. And I thought what we saw after that was incredibly encouraging um, about it validated a lot of the things that, that I thought, and that we've talked about, about the offense. I thought, I thought Penix looked great. And I think that they've got those top three receivers. And I would put, Jeremy Bernard in there as well. Like he Bernard looked, really looked explosive and that opening kickoff return and, and his explosiveness after the catch. Like I, I was, I was really, I thought they looked awesome. It was, um, it was interesting. I, a number of things validated. I think it's, I don't know if you felt this way covering the Seahawks, but when you would think that you really saw something in training camp, felt pretty convicted about what you were seeing, whether it was, this guy looks really good or, oh man, like this position that they're, they're talking up. I don't know. I don't, I don't see a lot of playmakers there. That's um, Jeremy Bernard and, and Will Nixon in particular yes. looked yeah, like the guys that we saw in the spring that we saw during training camp. And the coaches have talked up Will Nixon a lot, just as far as how much bigger he's gotten, how much good weight he's put on. They think he's stronger. He ran through a couple of arm tackles there on that 21 yard run that they were pretty pleased with. And, and Jeremy Bernard, um, you know, I, I've kind of been writing, I, I think that, Hey, watch this guy after the catch. You know, I think he's someone who can stretch the field and, and catch those deep shots. And they darn near completed one to him there, mm-hmm. um, where, where Penix drifted a little bit and wound up, wound up, I think it was the safety made a nice play on it around the goal line, but, um, he, he's got some wiggle and he's just, he, you can tell he's just kind of got that, that it factor that he he reads reads blocks and sets guys up. He broke a tackle on that one catch. Um, this looks like a really smooth, productive runner with the ball in his hands for somebody who who hasn't really played a lot of college football. And I agree with you about Nixon. Um, I saw you wrote kind of the question is 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 Dylan Johnson is he healthy? Um, he didn't look particularly explosive, and it's hard to draw conclusions. When you're talking about, I think Johnson had four carries in the first half, and Nixon had three. Um, but I, I thought Nixon looked to be the more explosive. I, the two things I would say I'm reserving judgment on is the R- Washington's run game on offense and their their secondary. Um, I don't know how great a test Boise State's going to be. That Taylor Green didn't appear particularly accurate, and but kind of. From what you saw in the secondary, Devon Banks looked phenomenal. Like the way he drove on on that that little stop route, the little curl, was fantastic. And it seemed like they didn't want to throw at Jabbar Muhammad. Um, I I think I counted two times that they they threw toward receivers that he was covering in the first half. And one of those he he had well covered. The other one. Could have been caught. I think a, a more accurate ball gets caught, but Muhammad was right there. He's certainly going to make the tackle after the completion. He wasn't. It wasn't like the guy was running behind him. Um, and in fact, I mean, Washington kind of kept the top on the secondary. You didn't see guys running back there. Now, screen passes were were a bit of a different story. But those are always those are always difficult to evaluate because uh, in in tackle football, an offense is trying to do one of two things. Right? They're either trying to overpower. A defense, like even if the defense loads up and knows that this is coming, like the the offense has schemed a way to get through, or you're trying to use misdirection, disguise, and that's that's what a screen pass is. A screen pass is not like, hey, you got you got blown off the ball. You you guys you guys were outmanned on this. It's that 
your pass rushing geniuses feel that they, they all of a sudden are like, Woo-hoo! I get to go <laughs> sack the quarterback now. And you're like, oh, no, they let me go. I wasn't blocked on that play. It's not great when you give up 98 yards worth of screen passes and a half, but that's not that's also more a reflection about about sort of scheme or tendencies than it is like manpower. Both of those screens too. It it took until about uh, Taylor Green raised his right hand up to let the ball go to realize, oh, that's going to be a huge game. <laughs> Just gigantic. <laughs> There's nobody over there. I can't remember seeing screen passes where you're like nobody's in the frame like you've got three big offensive linemen and they don't have to block anybody for 20 yards because there's no one over there you mentioned Devon Banks and I my Monday and Tuesday stories on 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 onmontlake.com kind of address what I thought were the the biggest the the biggest non-Michael Penix non-receivers takeaways because I do I feel like we've fallen into the zone where like hey Penix threw for 450 and 73 percent and five touchdowns and made three throws that, like, you won't see in any other college stadium across the country. Yeah, yeah, he he does that, whatever. Um, But, you know, what's not as good or what was surprising? And Nixon and Devon Banks, uh, or at least the the running game generally, and Devon Banks, I think were kind of the two, like, you know, on on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Oh, is the the running game going to get any better? Who's their lead back going to be? Can Will Nixon kind of keep that up or be a little more consistent? But then also... Wow, Devon Banks broke up four passes, and I, I noted this in my game column. I think it was Dom Hampton and and Tuli Latuli Nasanoa was the other one. Were each credited with four pass breakups all of last season, <laughs> and they tied for the team lead. Jeez. And Devon Banks <laughs> broke that off in one game as a back. He played twenty nine snaps. He did it in twenty nine snaps. That's pretty unbelievable. Um, he... Are you? Are you? Obviously, a lot of people want to see him more and are encouraged by his play. But what do you think about how they kind of handle Elijah Jackson going forward? Because that's a player they've been really excited about. He looked really good in spring and camp. And I don't think you bench a guy after one game. But maybe they're sort of in that that nice problem territory with Devon Banks right now. I would think that you make sure that you get opportunities to get him on the field. Like that you, you get Devon Banks out there. I would not. I would not start him. I would not make that rotation. Devon Banks, I, and I want has he had a great game, and he has an awesome celebration, like the seatbelt, which I, I I think is what it looks like that he's got the guy belted down. I might be mistaking that. Like I'm Ooh. a forty eight year old. I think it's like a seatbelt. I, I described it as like sheathing a sword. I thought it Ooh, was he could was be like could be putting a sword away. Okay, could be very very but well makes- could be. It makes maybe a little more sense that it would be a seatbelt. Yeah, but seatbelt. Because you're locking a like, guy down, right? Like I, yeah. I, whatever it is, I, I, I'm a big fan of it. I loved how Devon Banks played. The sort of overreaction to corners, quote-unquote, struggling in coverage. Like the biggest complaint about Elijah Jackson is going to be he got penalized twice. One of those flags, and I do th- the one that came at the end of the first half, I do think he interfered with the guy. I think he grabbed his arm. That flag came in so insanely late. Like that was, and yeah, don't I, don't overreact I, to those. Like if 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 the, if the coaching staff feels he's played well, like I don't freak out about. I'd much rather have a guy that's grabbing and fighting the way Elijah Jackson was than somebody's letting run people run free behind him. Um, I I would not. I would say that the early returns are Devon Banks is someone you need to give an opportunity to make more plays, but don't sort of draw any conclusions at all about what Elisha Jackson will give you over the course of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Um, you know, it wasn't, I'm sure he would say that he has higher standards than the way he played Saturday because um, he did two penalties. He also was in coverage on the 40 yard completion um, mm-hmm. on their. Second possession, I think it was. There were a couple missed tackles. Um, the run that that uh, Genty scored on off tackle from seven yards or whatever. I think Jackson was the washed. guy. He he stiff armed yeah. and um, he got washed on the screen pass touchdown too. But I mean, it, you gave up a fifty yard screen pass for a touchdown. That's not on one guy, right? Like especially not one cornerback. Maybe he could have 
made a spectacular play to to bother him or, or get him down sooner. I don't know, but um, I'm I think they're probably still very high on Elijah Jackson's potential. He's still a great athlete, um, and you know, Kalen DeBoer and William Inge they both kind of went out of their way to say. Hey, like there were a lot of really good things he did on film within our system, within our scheme that you're no one's going to notice because it maybe wasn't even in the frame or the mm-hmm. ball wasn't involved. But he, you know, he did the things that you're looking for, and um, you know, it, with a cornerback especially too, like it, obviously, and, and I think rightfully so, you're going to focus on the passes that get thrown their way and how they how they react to the ball and how they play the receiver. But oftentimes there's a reason that the ball is not thrown their way. Right. So like you kind of mentioned Jabbar Muhammad, they, they sort of stayed away from him. You could safely assume that, you know, perhaps that's because he was playing very tight coverage and he took that option away. So um, maybe there were several instances of that with Elijah Jackson as well, where the coaches are kind of saying, hey, you know, he did a lot more right than wrong. The wrong stands out. The wrong is glaring. And, you know, he didn't have the the plays at the point of attack, as William Inge put it, um, that Devon Banks did. But Man, after watching that secondary last year and just how little they affected the ball and how infrequently they were around the ball or in position to make plays on the ball, to see one guy who, you know, he was part of that last year, right? He was a redshirt freshman, probably playing a little more than he should have been, probably playing a little more than they wanted him to uh, because of injuries. He was banged up also. Um, He took his lumps last year, there's no doubt. So, you know, to, to have him come out day one, game one, off the bench, in for a guy who um, has gotten a lot of headlines and and you know people are really excited about, and to step in in a reserve role and break up four passes. I mean, three of them being on third down, one of them should have been a pick. Um, you know, that's 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 pretty big time stuff, and it's exactly the kind of thing that that they didn't have last year that everybody wants to see more of this year. Yeah, with corners especially, like. We don't use the term small sample size that much in in football, and we should, because cornerbacks, the difference between a good game and a terrible game is usually three or four plays, and it's possible to be a good corner and have a terrible game. It's possible to be a good corner and have an unfortunate game where things that you didn't even really necessarily do wrong, you get blamed for, and I think the key to that position both playing it and evaluating it is allowing room for improvement, acknowledging less than ideal circum, like a less than ideal result and saying like, okay, I still like the process that he's showing. I still like the way that he's playing. And if he can prevent that from happening in the future, we, we think that this is sort of an outlier or an aberration and it's a position that most often and I would say sort of what I consider lay people, like the people that aren't coaches or players, tend to fixate on those three or four plays that everybody sees. And in this case, it's Devon Banks looked great in those situations and couldn't look better. And Elijah Jackson, not at the exact opposite of the continuum, because it wasn't guys running behind him open for touchdowns. like it, But having the penalties, giving up the 40, being there on the 40-yard completion, not getting... He had a couple opportunities to contain run plays, and he didn't. That doesn't mean, though, that it's like, okay, we've asked and answered. It's data, and we'll see where it goes from here. But overall, I thought the defense looked pretty good. There's a lot of questions going forward in terms of will they get pass pressure. If a, if a quarterback holds onto the ball longer, will they get pass pressure? Think think Green got rid of the ball fairly quickly. Like there wasn't there wasn't much of an opportunity um, for the rush to get home. He wasn't particularly accurate, and that could have changed the way it looked as well. But all in all, like I thought that I thought the defense was a market improvement from what we saw a year ago. It is something to watch Washington beat the presumed Mountain West favorite fifty six to nineteen and feel like. There was some meat on the bone on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't score in the first quarter. Um, they they gave them three points with with the. I I didn't get a great look. I haven't watched the replay of the uh, the running into the kicker penalty. I know Kalen DeBoer did not like that. It seems to think the ball was deflected. Well, I don't even know about that. the The freaking kicker hopped like hopped forward, uh, and then flopped. Like it was lame as hell. The old hop and flop. <laughs> what is? 
if you get hit, like, as you kick, like, even if you just get run into, fine. But I think, like, once you... If you're, like, a shooter that's holding, like, the gooseneck up, like, you don't get the foul after that. Like, once you're posing, like, it, I thought it was lame. Yeah, yeah it, it, it happens. Um, the, uh, the safety call was so bizarre because it was like they got together and reached the proper conclusion that that he was outside the tackle box and then it was like oh but he no it didn't get it past the line of scrimmage it's like well yes he did he that was way past the line of scrimmage that was the insane part because like when they ruled it like i'm i'm watching on the replay in a bar uh down in in midtown so i couldn't tell that he was in like how clearly outside the tackle box he was i thought it was closer than it was but then when they said, like, he didn't throw the ball past the line of scrimmage, I was like, yeah, he did. And then you heard over the loudspeaker, the, like, good job on that. Like, you guys are idiots. Like, you're yeah, still I, idiots. I uh, I definitely thought live, I was like, oh, he's clearly in the tackle box. That's what I, I just couldn't see how far left he drifted. But, yes. yeah, obviously, um, Robert Griffin III did a, a good job telestrating that, showing where the where the left edge of the box was. He was clearly outside of it, clearly yes. through it, yeah. And then... It was, yeah, just a. I, I wonder idiotic. how much more you'll see of Mark Duddy in the future once the Pac-12 is gone, because they're going to need some, you know, these West Coast guys to officiate games out here. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, uh, how many of the Pac-12's best? I'm, I'm using air quotes here. Uh, officials already left for the Big Ten, so. Yeah, Pac-12 officiating will live on. <laughs> <laughs> one way or another it's just um, so it's the most it's it's the most glaring way to make that mistake where it's like you get together and you talk about it and you decide that something that absolutely did not happen the ball going beyond the line of scrimmage like that that actually occurred <laughs> so like you guys are idiots <laughs> uh I, although like sh- not to get lost on that um ale umulo'o Ulumo'o. Ulumo'o. God, I, I've got to get better at it. Ulumo'o had a hell of a play on there. Like he they, did, yeah. He, he seemed I, – I don't want to make too many like conclusions off of the defensive line play or the edge play because they didn't hold on to the ball very long, but he definitely seemed to be disruptive, and that play was probably his most disruptive. That was the most I can remember noticing him in a game. I mean, last year – it was just kind of tough for him to be consistent. He was hurt a couple different times. He was a little further down in the rotation. Um, you know, they've made clear they're going to rely on him. He's going to be a starter. He, he, they want him to be one of their dudes. And I think you, you noticed him kind of pushing the pocket a couple times. And like you said, and I, I think the coaching staff is is in agreement. I don't think anybody's real concerned about the pass rush after that game. You know, DeBoer described Taylor Green as a rhythm thrower. You know, he's going to get rid of the ball. He's yeah. not going to stand back there and really give you a, a, a chance. And when he's throwing quickly and throwing inaccurately, like you mentioned, you, you live with that. You know, let him let him do that. Let him punt and, and go let Michael Penix Jr. throw a touchdown pass. So um, I, I maybe I guess you expected the edges to be a little more active. Like if, if they're that good, you know, could they still have gotten some pressure? I don't think it's that big of a deal. But I did. I think it was uh, it was encouraging to see just how active Ale was on a couple different plays. Um, sounds like Fatui Tuatele is dinged up. He mm-hmm. went out there for a play early and came off, and uh, I don't think he was in pads for, for Tuesday's practice, so that's something to keep an eye on just with the rotation. But um, I think they, you know, the defensive front acquitted itself okay. They weren't, like, dominant against the run or anything. Boise State broke off a couple of uh, chunk plays on them. But, yeah, overall, I mean... You didn't see the the receivers running wide open. You didn't see, you know, like they they hit the screen plays and you know, like kind of DeBoer laughed and said, "Yeah, I mean that'll be an emphasis this week. Like you'll be talking about that for sure." But um, that's going to happen, you know. You're you're going to give up some plays outside of those two. Uh, what he threw for two forty four, and that was ninety eight of it. So yep. you know, less than one hundred fifty yards passing. Otherwise. Um, did you expect Taylor Green to run more? I kind of thought they they they'd call more designed runs with him because he was such a weapon last year. Yeah, and I think that I would bet that that's probably an eye toward what they want him to do this season as opposed to what was most effective, like what gave them the best chance. I don't think they wanted him getting hit a ton. 
Um, yeah, it was it was not imperative that Boise State win that game for, for what they want to accomplish this season. I think that is a good point. Um, uh, yeah, and watching watching Ulumo'o, his there were times he was double teamed, which is an incredibly positive sign because as physically disruptive as he is, watch it, that that they were having to account for him was was incredibly positive. But yeah, I did I did think their quarterback would run more. And then kind of just what you said though, he's getting rid of the ball on time and he wasn't throwing particularly accurately and you're getting the results that you want. There's not a need to to dial up pressures. There's not a need they weren't struggling to get them off the field. And some of that's because Green wasn't particularly accurate, but that's like you you don't want to you don't want to show people that you can sack someone if you're getting the the results that you want which they did for most of the game man it's uh it's quite the the lineup of quarterbacks they're going to face in conference this year um it's fun you know you we'll see what the status of Sam Jackson is at, at Cal but i mean Finley comes in for him and they score 58 points on the road they've got a really good running back obviously too Jay not but I mean, Cam Ward threw for 451 mm-hmm. yards last week. We know Bo Nix is, is really good and can run the ball, too. And uh, DJ Oyunglele certainly looks like an upgrade at Oregon State and also not the problem at Clemson. Yikes. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy watching Dabo struggle if that's what's happening down there. Yeah, there's a few people who will enjoy that. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to relish in that. Um, yeah. Jaden yes. Rashada had a, a okay day. It was a weird, weird game for ASU with the haboob blowing oh, yeah. in and yeah. uh, big weather delay, and they you know, like barely beat Southern Utah. I don't know Three if that points. was like a great game one for them, but I think he made some he made some plays. He's a true freshman quarterback playing for the first time. He'll develop. Jaden Delora threw for 400 yards against them last year. Right, uh, Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams. Um, shoot. Uh, Stanford, uh, maybe a little bit of an offense. They played Hawaii, but they covered easily. They did what Stanford should do against Hawaii. Maybe they're going to be a little bit better than you'd expect. So they're going to face a lot of mobile quarterbacks, a lot of really productive quarterbacks. Um, I would have thought that Taylor Green would stress them that way. But I think by the end of the year, you might be saying he's down toward the bottom of the list of, of quarterbacks who are biggest problems for their defense. You certainly look 12 Pac-12 games, 12 t- games involving Pac-12 teams, 12-0. and 0. Only two of those games were single-digit like uh, margins of victory. It was Colorado and then a- Arizona State, Southern Utah. You had the rest are double-digit victories, and you had seven of those 12 games in which the Pac-12 team won by 25 or more. Like There were a ton of points put on the board. And um, I didn't even mention Cam Rising. you got to assume yeah. he'll be healthy by then. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? They beat yeah. Florida after the Florida the Florida defensive end said it was a little uh, stadium. <laughs> it kind of, I mean, it is. Like if yeah. you play in the SEC, it is. Yeah, but, uh, but I don't it know. Doesn't sound little. I don't know, man. I don't know. That that might be one of those. That might don't hit send. <laughs> <laughs> don't hit send. Uh, a a an outstanding start to the season for you picking games against the spread six and three. You were. Uh, that's better than I thought I was. I, I had myself as, as being worse than that. Uh, I thought I picked North Texas against Cal. I, I think I, it I, was like when we first intro. I have to go back and listen. There was one game where when we first introduced it, you'd said, um, you picked the other team and then we talked about it and, and you, you finally, you concluded that you were picking the PAC 12 team. I think that was that one. So yeah. maybe that's what you were thinking. Yeah, it could be. Um, yeah, I don't know that that was particularly like getting the Coastal Carolina cover was kind of. Uh, that's I I didn't anticipate. I I feel like I I get I technically won that one though I completely misdiagnosed that game. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was an impressive weekend all around by the Pac-12. Uh, full slate of games this week, including a conference game. USC plays. Yeah, Stanford. Stanford. Uh, I'm just going to go with the bet MGM lines. Okay. Um, Colorado's up to three and a half with bet MGM now over Nebraska. I'm I'm taking the buffs. I'm I'm on. I'm I, I want to hear Dion. I want to hear Dion Crow more. I want to hear him talk his stuff. So I'm I'm taking the buffs and giving the three and a half. Uh, I'm going to take Colorado as well. Okay. Playing at home, man. I love that stadium. I love that city. 
I love that campus. That is going to be an amazing atmosphere in Boulder on Saturday morning. Um, they're going to have the, the, the donuts cooking in the old field house thing. You got to walk through to get to the stadium. Uh, they're going to be selling a bunch of those, uh, kind of wish I could be there. That's going to be a, that's going to be a fun one. I, part of me wants to forecast some regression, like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they took their one big swing and they, they were so up for TCU. Right. And so wanted to show everybody what they were about and, and expended all this emotional energy and got it done. And maybe they fall back to earth a little bit. Um, but I think Nebraska's bad. So I'm going to go with, going to go with Colorado there. Um, Utah visits Baylor in a game that suddenly doesn't look so daunting for Utah. I don't know that it ever looked daunting necessarily, but Baylor's starting quarterback is out. Sounds like Cam Rising's practicing, although we don't know if he's going to play yet. Um, BetMGM has Utah as a seven and a half point road favorite, which I'm not sure I would have anticipated. Going Utes. I'm also going to go Utah. Um, I, I they they just they just are never going to get the respect they're due, are they? How many times how many times do they have to win the Pac-12? This is their last chance to do it, but they're gonna they're gonna win the Pac-12 this year. They're gonna leave the conference having won it three years in a row, and they're gonna be picked to finish like sixth in the Big 12 next season preseason. <laughs> it's a good team, and, and then they're gonna win the Big 12. Yeah. So um, it's, a, it's a good team. I, I like I like the Utes in that one too. Uh and they're they they just they just knock the crap out of people. Yes, they do. Year in, year out. They just have dudes who can hit. That was yep. kind of the one that big takeaway from watching that Florida game. It was people talk about the speed of the SEC and it certainly has it. Utah's got a level of physicality on both sides of the ball that is very tough to deal with. Uh the Huskies are thirty four and a half point favorites over Tulsa. Before we make our picks there. Yes. Ian McFarland has a question for us regarding that game. Our friend Ian, uh, our sponsor Ian, if you've got any sort of opportunity or inquiry you have regarding sales possibilities, it's worth a conversation with Ian. Um, I would continue to drone on, but what do I really know about sales? Uh, Not as much as Ian does. So go ahead and reach out to him, ipmcfarland.com, and his question for us. Okay, guys, a very personal question today for me, not you. So you can rest easy there. Saturday's game kicks off at 2 p.m. Pacific time. The La Cañada, California, 10 and under fast pitch all-stars first pitch is at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And they have a doubleheader that will end around 5.30, which I presume is about the same time that the University of Washington and Tulsa will finish on Saturday. How do I play this? And I preface this by saying I'm not one of those ridiculous no-fall weddings people. My anniversary is in October. Washington had a game the day of my wedding. I felt... No remorse for that, nor did I ever think of going to the bar to check the game, though I did have someone feeding me score updates as the wedding went along. So how do I handle Saturday? Obviously, I'm going to choose my daughter over the University of Washington football team, but uh, deep down, I know that part of that is because they're playing Tulsa. (laughs) Let me know. See you guys. I was just, I was, I mean, this is still going to be my response, but uh, that does dovetails nicely into it. I was going to say, uh, you thank the scheduling gods that they're playing Tulsa and you, you just focus on your daughter's game and, and you know, you'll have your phone on you. Your friends will be texting you. If you feel inclined to check the score, check the score, but set the DVR and watch it later. And, um, you know, there, there's two outcomes, right? They're going to maybe three, they're, they're either going to blow them out, which is what Vegas expects they're going to win in disappointing fashion by only a couple scores or um, they're, they're going to suffer one of the worst defeats in the history of the program. And you'll be glad that you missed it anyway. So um, that's, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty easy one. You know, I, I don't know um, what the judgment level would be if you like set up an iPad or something uh, connected to Wi-Fi and tried to stream it. But uh, I'd, I'd say, 
I'd say don't worry about it. Just just watch your daughter's games. I'm going to give a very firm uh, take what I refer to as the time capsule approach. Uh, shut off communication. Uh, get no updates. Do not check Twitter. Um, put your put your phone in do not disturb mode. Focus on the game. Uh, the game being played by your daughter, not the one being played in Seattle. Uh, the this falls into the category of the the only news, the only the only sort of impactful news you can get is bad news. Um, I live on the East Coast. I don't watch the ninth inning of most Mariners games when they have the lead. I go to sleep. Um, I'm I'm out, and the my rationale is entirely. If they win, that's what they expected. That's what they're expected to do because they had the league going into the ninth inning and you should win. There is no satisfaction. Like the enjoyment or security that you get in knowing that they won is vastly outweighed by the level of distress that is caused if it doesn't go the way that it is supposed to go. If there's a blown save, if God forbid they blow the game. I don't know. Their their bullpen seems to be suddenly gasoline soaked. So you have a three run lead going into the eighth inning of a game against the Cincinnati Reds, and you allow four runs in those final two innings. Like only bad things can happen. At which point, I'm going to be much more better equipped to deal with it the next morning when I get up, rather than trying to go to sleep with that. So I regularly turn the game off going into the ninth inning if the Mariners are ahead. The same thing should apply here. And in fact, I have. The best example of this for our friend Ian at IPMcFarland.com. Two years ago, we had tickets to the U.S. Open Women's Final. Emily Raducanu playing Layla Fernandez. Uh, it was the first year I'd gone to the tournament. The U.S. Open has become one of my absolutely favorite things to go to. Went to two days this year. I love it. Um, I'm regularly staying up past midnight this week to watch all of the matches. I love the U.S. Open. I did not check at all the Washington score that day until we got to the subway platform. At which point I logged on and saw Kevin Jackson, who's formerly at ESPN.com. He lives in Seattle, huge Husky fan, uh, works for FoxSports.com. KJ is someone I've known for more than 20 years at this point. Um, tweeted something about, thank God Ryan Divish wasn't on Twitter that day. And it was the first cue that I had that the Washington Montana game had gone um, poorly. Or not as expected. And my initial reaction there, sitting on the subway platform, waiting for the 7 train to go back to Manhattan, was, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then Kevin Van Valkenburg, who's a writer for ESPN right now, uh, went to Montana. I believe he played at Montana as well. Um, expressed how much satisfaction he took from my level of distress. The game wasn't technically over yet. Uh, I saw on the score updates as it happened. <laughs> My decision to time capsule and to completely shut off, I had no updates, was vastly played off because I got to enjoy that women's final completely and 100%. I wasn't sneaking peeks. I wasn't checking. And had I known that that outcome was in doubt, I would have been a freaking mess. But I wouldn't have been in position to really watch it and certainly not do anything. So, Ian, shut off your phone. Don't take any communication from the outside world. Enjoy the 10 and under fast pitch all-star game there in beautiful La Cunata. Perhaps uh, go to, uh, I think it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the, there's a little cafe there, Rocky Cola, I think, there in, in downtown, lovely downtown Montrose, which Ooh, is near La Cunata. facts, huh? Uh, yeah, my dad grew up in Montrose. Uh, I'm well familiar. I believe that my aunt and uncle live within a mile of Ian McFarland. Uh Enjoy that, and then figure out what happened afterward. Do not, do not bother yourself, because the only news, like the only news, can be bad news. <laughs> like that's, that's the only thing that can happen is distressing news. And we we should give Ian credit here because this was, I think, the path he's already yes, hundred percent. I'm just uh, saying, fully commit to it. No communication. Don't get any updates. Yeah, I see. I I think that's a perfectly fair approach. I don't think you need to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, depending on the outcome, like if Washington wins 63 to 10 or something, like, do you even want to go back and watch the whole thing on DVR or do you just say, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll read about it on Montlake.com a couple times and, uh, you know, that'll be that. So, 
I don't, but I don't, I don't know. Th- that's the whole like, – yeah, it's – I just know how I am, and if I saw that the score was 14-11 at halftime, I would be a freaking mess, Like, and probably in a position where I'm still not going to want to watch it because I don't want to distract from myself from the day. I just – just speaking from my personal experience, it's better to go – it's better for me to go with the full-time capsule approach. I, uh, I'm going to pick the Huskies to cover the 34-and-a-half. <laughs> He's laying the lumber. That's a lot of lumber. That's a lot of lumber. I learned my lesson with Nevada and, and USC. Um, oh, there's, I... a, there, there's a handful of Pac-12 teams that can score at will this year, and Washington is one of them. And I just think it's. Um, I think they. I think they can. I think they can can make it work. I'm taking Tulsa backdoor cover. I think Washington will be up forty in the third quarter. I think we're going to see a lot of reserves, and I think that there will be a backdoor cover that Tulsa will score a couple times in the fourth quarter. I'm also once bitten, twice shy. I I, I, I picked. Boise to cover the yes. 14 and a half. So yeah. uh, um, Oregon's a six and a half point favorite at Texas tech. Give me the red Raiders. I'd take the red Raiders to win this game straight up. Really? <laughs> Not really. That's just cause I hate Oregon. <laughs> I don't um, want any, I don't want any part of me getting any satisfaction by, by an Oregon victory. <laughs> they have a former Oregon duck at quarterback, uh, Tyler Shuck who has been banged up the last couple of years, but they have won a lot of games when he's been, when, when he's been starting. So Chuck, um, the former duck chucking down at Lubbock. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite confident enough in my Keith Jackson uh, oh. <laughs> impersonation. To... Will they have any luck with the former duck Chuck? <laughs> oh, take... he takes a pump fake, but he's going to tuck it. Um, I'm going to take Oregon to cover the six and a half. I probably would have anyway. Um, but I, I kind of like Texas tech as this program on the rise and maybe they still are, but they did lose at Wyoming on Saturday in their opener. They lost to baby diaper uniforms. There were, uh, there were some red Raider fans calling for a, uh, a quarterback change. So it was the first game. I think I have this right. The first game that Tyler Shuck started and finished that Texas tech lost. Cause and they want him out. He's yeah they they well they wanted they wanted them to pull him out and maybe give the backup a shot or um, it sounds like it was yeah he's he's been banged up but when he's played they've been really good and and that was not the case on Saturday so who knows maybe coming back home they're they're due for a bounce back but uh, conditions I I think are are ripe for Oregon to go in there and score a bunch of points Arizona the Fighting Fish is traveling to Starkville. Uh, for a return trip of a home and home that was played in Tucson last year, they are nine and a half point dogs yeah. going to play at Mississippi State. Uh, I should have more faith in the fishes than I do, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be dubious again. I'm taking Mississippi State in this game. Like given the nine, I uh, I'm gonna take Arizona. Don't know if I'd pick them straight up. Um, I'll have that in my picks column. Um, that's just a, it's an explosive offense. Don't know that I buy Mississippi State's defense. Um, nine and a half feels like a lot. If it were in Tucson, I'd 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 be all over it. I'm still fairly confident. Uh, just think Arizona's got a little more juice than they've had. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Arizona uh, to cover that one. UCLA goes to San Diego State. Um, the Bruins are fourteen and a half point favorites. Going UCLA there. Fourteen and a half. Mm. It was the same spread against Coastal Carolina. Yep. Who's better? I I I think UCLA is going to improve as the season goes along. Will Chip Kelly start Dante Moore? That's the question. I know. Yeah, I. I don't think these are like the same Aztecs. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take UCLA also. I'll give them one more one more go around before I. I start to fade the Bruins. Um, number 19, Wisconsin, goes to Pullman. Um, the Cougs are six-and-a-half-point dogs in this one. I'm taking Wazoo, and I'm I'm going to take them straight up. Oh! I think, listen, they won in Madison last year. Big emotional win for Jake Dickert. Everybody remembers that. Uh, I think they've upgraded offensively. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a believer in their their young offensive coordinator Ben Arbuckle 
It was 27 when they hired him. Maybe he's turned 28 since then. I don't know. I didn't check. But um, thought that uh, they had a pretty good plan against Colorado State. Cam Ward um, threw for 451 yards. I think had some maybe some ball security issues, but uh, uh, big step step forward for him at least statistically. They went into Fort Collins. I think some people like, oh, is Colorado State better? Is that kind? It's going to be tough, and it really wasn't. Um, took care of business, put fifty points on the board. Coming home, huge game. Going to be an awesome atmosphere. I just, uh, I think, I think they get it done. And we, it's just a little early in the fickle era. I think they've done a lot with the transfer portal. I think that they've gotten, they've gotten better. Um, but I think, uh, I think Wazoo is, is kind of has the momentum and is, is going to take care of business there. But I do, I, I have six and a half points to play with, even if, if they don't get it done straight up. I'm going Badgers. I love the Cougs. I'm a big fan of the Cougs. Badgers are taking this. Um, we have Auburn visiting California. Auburn favored by six and a half. So I'm surprised at the line here, but Cal maybe is dramatically improved. I'm surprised at six and a half. I think that Cal's might have the most negligible home field advantage in college football. <laughs> But all of these things are so shaded by like my own personal feelings about Cal and history. Like my dad graduated from there. Like he had a belief that you couldn't have a good football team at Cal because there were too many hippies. Like there's a lot going on. I, I have I have bias galore. Uh I'm taking Cal, but I don't feel good about it. Like I feel like I should be getting more than six and a half points. I, but I'm I'm taking Cal. See uh, SEC teams have uh, have struggled coming out to Strawberry Canyon. So, so weird. It's a long trip. I don't it's know. So weird. <laughs> I too am taking Cal. <laughs> you... Oregon State plays UC Davis, by the way, but that's a an FCS it's off game. Off the line. There's, there's no yeah. line, but did want to acknowledge it. Uh, we don't do the five star lock of the week thing, but if we did, this would be mine. Oklahoma State, uh, a three and a half point favorite visiting Arizona State and this isn't one of Mike Gundy's better teams but uh, I think Arizona State's got some some growing pains that they're going to go through this year I, I think the Cowboys covered this one in Tempe <laughs> this was brought to me by a mother of children of children <laughs> and that article had to have been written by a person that doesn't have a child and has never had a child that's had their heart broken and come home upset. <laughs> That's an underrated part of that, too, when he it looks like he's going hard down the, like, building, 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 crescendo road, but then he pulls back for the word upset and come home upset. <laughs> here's, here's where it gets weirdest, though. <laughs> if your child goes down the street and somebody makes fun of him because he dropped a pass... In a pickup game, or says he's fat, and he comes home crying to his mom, you'd understand. <laughs> Calls him fat. That's that kid. That's that kid who dropped a pass in a pickup game. That kid's got butterfingers. <laughs> uh, I'm with his you. His mother has home. children. <laughs> Oh, that's the funniest. Uh, that's I, I, I'm going OK State too. I, you I, like I the Gundys too. I I don't like the Fighting Herms. <laughs> like, I think that Arizona State's got some issues, man. They after Week One, like there's a chance they're the worst team in the conference. Yes, uh, I will. I will have them last in my power rankings. Yeah, a three three point victory over Southern Utah. They've already declared themselves bowl ineligible. <laughs> Uh, Sparky Sparky might be in for a tough one this year. One conference game this week. Stanford visits USC. The Trojans are 29.5 point favorites. Give me the Cardinal. That's a lot of really? points. That's a lot of points. So, I didn't think SC was going to cover 38 against Nevada, and they did pretty easily. Nevada's terrible. Mm-hmm. Is Stanford is Stanford better than than people are giving him credit for, or is Hawaii just really bad? 
it's impossible to gauge Stanford right now for a couple reasons. A, you don't know what Hawaii is like at all. B, they play so differently. So, like, normally you'd look at it and say 29 points against a David Shaw Stanford coach team. Like, you're you're taking the points all day long because Stanford can play slow. They can make it. Like, it's hard to beat. Even a bad Stanford team, it's hard to beat them by 29 when David Shaw was coaching. It's not David Shaw anymore. It's like that 29 points looks a lot different because of the style of football that they play. Um, it's it's hard to know what to make of Stanford. I am I am making this entirely based on my belief that SC's defense is crap. I think it's I think it's a bad defense coached by an idiot. <laughs> well. Fade fade Alex Grinch is going to be my season until proven otherwise. Even though I picked Nevada, I still like the Nevada bet last week. I'm uh, I'm gonna go with USC. I just how do they how do they not score? How does Stanford stop them at all? Stanford, and Stanford might put thirty on them. Yeah, and USC might score sixty six. That's true too. <laughs> Fair you point. Never know. Fair point, Christian. There's not going to be any calling off the dogs either. <laughs> They're do you gonna. Think- do you think we're going to see that? Like, is this going to be the season when all the scores get settled? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like, I would like it if there's just no rules this year. Like, run it up as much as you want, as much taunting. Like, no, like th- this last year, the Pac-12 just let it all hang out. The thing is, do, like, are you still going to see the vitriol toward USC and UCLA? Nope. Because nope. everyone else kind of made their own decisions, too. Yes. Like, don't, don't, don't. Cal and Stanford have every right to feel that way about Washington. Obviously, yep. Oregon State and Washington State have every right to feel that way about every other school, um, but especially USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. So, I I have a question: Is it possible that Oregon State and Washington State could either be independents or be the Tupac? Could um, they just not join a conference? I've seen some. I've seen some speculation that. Uh, because the NCAA grants a two-year, yep, is it one year or two-year grace period for teams being below the eight-team threshold? Yep. They could just play next year and it'd declare a re- champion. It'd be really funny. <laughs> it would be. I mean, it would be the most college football thing ever. Could you make as much money doing that as if you as as being a member of the Mountain West? Like, I'm not sure it would be a financial disadvantage to schedule yourself essentially as an independent in a two-team conference and just be the Pac-2. Would you uh, have to would they have to play each other a certain number of times? I, I don't think you'd have to play each other more than once. Like you can make up your own rules, right? It's your conference. Just say that one game is for the conference title. Yeah. Well, the conference title's meaningless for CFP considerations. Yes, but it's not meaningless for merchandise and history books. Well, yeah, we know that because Washington sold Pac-12 North champion t-shirts in 2020. They sold them. I've got one of them. Do you really? (laughs) Yes. Hell yeah, I do. (laughs) Do you wear it? Yes. Anytime Oregon loses. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. God, yeah. Do you have a game day champion? No, that that one made me mad. the The Pac twelve North champion is funny. The game day the game day champion was was an abomination. The Pac twelve North champion. I just remember Jimmy Lake proudly tweeting after after their game had been canceled to seal their their championship. Uh, what a that's year when, that was! That's when I still like Jimmy. Like I I, I supported that tweet. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> it was. I, I mean, I, I can't lie like that. It was. I don't think he thought it was funny. That's exactly like it was like he had a different. I thought he was doing something different when he did it. <laughs> I thought he had a sense of humor about it. And I don't think he did now. Uh, say who say pod is up to 221 ratings, still holding on to it to our five star rating. Go ahead and help us out there. Rate the podcast. Leave a review. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, would also love it if you'd subscribe to onmontlake.com. Had a, uh, an interview with Washington President Anamari Kause, uh published Sunday morning that I think is worth checking out. She was she had some things to say. Um, very uh, very revealing, I thought, in some ways. Um, perhaps frustrating in, in other ways, uh, depending on your affiliation. I'd be curious to hear what what folks think about that. Um, 
Danny, do you uh, do you have anything on the dang apostrophe that that people should be on the lookout for here? I'm going to be starting. It's either later this week or early next week. Uh, something new called the Lost Sports Writer, and it's going to kind of be about the documenting my journey to write about my family over the past four years in general and the past two years specifically. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, that will be it's kind of a new vertical within my Substack. And also, if you are going to leave a review of Say Who Say Pod, which we'd be very grateful for, please note that it is a podcast held together with duct tape and bailing wire. Have you ever used bailing wire? Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, I used it. I used it in putting together fences. Uh, when I was, when I was growing up, there were some friends of, of ours that had a sheep farm that I used it for. Um, bailing wire. I don't think I've ever actually bailed hay. Uh, although there were, there were farmers in the Southern Oregon community that I, that I lived in. Uh, I remember we had a spool of it that was moved to California that I threw out. Cause I was like, yeah, we're not going to need this anymore here living in Santa Cruz County. Um, but yeah, yes, yes. I have used bailing wire. Well, enjoy the Tulsa game. Uh, or your your child's softball game, soccer game, youth football game, whatever you got going Saturday. And we'll talk to you next week.